Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 83. Chris, I can't think of a single interesting thing to say about the number 83. Okay, well, that is interesting in itself. I, <laughs> I, I suppose so. Uh, how you doing? We, we had a longer than usual gap this last time. It's been 10 days since we last recorded a podcast. What have you been up to? That's right. Uh, I took a very nice vacation over the weekend. Um, we left the kids with the grandparents and we went up to Lake Michigan uh, where there's really nice beaches, like Florida level beaches. Um, they're just only, you know, it's only warm for three months out of the year, really. So that's the trade off. But uh, yeah, super nice and uh, came back relaxed. Um, and then I found a plumbing problem and a bunch of weeds growing in my lawn. And so uh, oh, no. I've been trying to solve those two things. But otherwise, a nice personal vacation. I lived one summer in Cleveland, Ohio, really close to Edgewater Beach, which is on Lake Erie. And I was so surprised because you think Cleveland, Ohio, like, yeah. that has a beach? That doesn't make sense. But there's lots of beaches. And yeah, they're nice. And the water was not the best water. There weren't a lot of people swimming in the lake. And one of the most popular things to do on the beach is collect beach glass. Mm -hmm. which is these little scraps of uh, colored glass that have been broken up and they look like, I don't know, uh, medium size, uh, small, small pebbles that are like translucent in the cool glass color. And so at first I was like, ah, oh, that's so cool that there's all this beach glass. But then I realized like, oh, wait, it's because this beach is very dirty. And like, yeah. this is just trash <laughs> that's, that's been rebranded as beach glass. And no, it's really cool. But I have like two pounds of beach glass from... Uh, when I lived there over a summer and I was very surprised that it was, it was like, a, like the sand was really nice and the nice beach stuff to do. And you could see the water still. And, uh, and then, you know, there, there was a, a power train from a car, just like, uh, off in, in some, uh, shrubs. So it sounds like uh, Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, Oh, I found out there's a river that feeds into the lake and it, mm. a nickname for it is burning river because it caught fire several times through history and oh, because no. there was just like this thick layer of sludge on top and it was the olden days so everyone was using candles and actual fire for things and the river would just like routinely catch on fire and the entire river would just be this burning like hellscape uh yeah <laughs> well that that's gross <laughs> that is this beach was good. significantly cleaner than that uh yeah we that's saw good. people cleaning it while we were there uh, and so the sand is super super like clean and and yeah it was good. The Cleveland River has also since been cleaned up, and uh, Lake Erie, I think, is, is also clear. Well, uh, cool. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> I didn't mean to derail it with a story about gross <laughs> Cleveland days. <laughs> um, uh, cool. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, something else that you did besides going to the Oh, the uh, uh, house domestic duties that you're um, battling grass and uh, plumbing, and, plumbing and grass problems. Tell yeah. me about those. Oh, uh, there's not, not much to tell. I learned all about the difference between uh, centipede grass, carpet grass, nutsedge, and uh, uh, what there was a, one other one. But yeah, it's really, really difficult to tell the difference, actually, unless you let it go to seed, um, mm. at which point it's easy because the seed pods look different. But yeah, so I was like pulling out grass and I was showing you like the different, <laughs> you got to count the hairs on the on the <laughs> intersection between the, the leaves and stuff. Uh, it's ridiculous. Talk about shaving a yak. We started the problem with you like, oh yeah, I'm going to push forward this GPS competition for Gagalog. We ended it with like, <laughs> I'm counting the hairs in this piece of grass that I pulled from my yard. Yeah. Uh, I, we, we've, I can't remember if we talked about this on the, on the last podcast, but talking with you about your, your house update stuff 
has me feeling more appreciative of living in a condo. They recently raised the HOA fees to something like $320 a month. Hmm, yeah. And Sarah and I were like, ah, oh, that's so much money. And they take care of everything outside of your house. So like yeah. if there's any roof problems, if there's anything with plumbing from the city, any sort of interaction you would have with the city, uh, they landscape the outside, they cut the grass, they do all these things that I just don't even have to think about. So it feels like a good medium. Like it's it's more responsibility than an apartment and it's less responsibility than a house. And for right now, for this period of my life, I'm enjoying the less responsibility. Yeah, I think I think I told you like we bought a house kind of early, like the market was good and stuff. And so we bought a house early and I sort of wish we would have stayed in. Uh, we were in an apartment at the time, but like, yeah, a condo or townhouse or something. Uh, it's just so much work <laughs> to, to have a house uh, and you could like pay people like I'm going to pay someone to fix this plumbing problem. But I have mm. to figure out who is the best person to, to pay and like find them yeah, and schedule yeah. them. And maybe they don't show up and then I have to spend a work day waiting for them and have to like, yeah. it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Something that I realized about myself too is I really like solving those types of problems. In this in a situation where I have a plumbing problem, I like to just sit with it and become a plumber and learn get all the tools and the fancy wrenches and the machinery that I need to do it. And it doesn't make sense the first time and it doesn't make sense at all if I'm valuing my time as worth it. But I enjoy the process <laughs> of that. And then I enjoy, you know, when I go to someone else's house and they're like, Ah, oh, I have this problem. I have some knowledge of that problem and I might be able to solve it or I, I could take my tools and lend it to them and show them how to do it. Or I can make a YouTube video about how to solve that problem. That's what, what I prefer to. So like encountering those problems now would be non-ideal for me because I don't currently have the bandwidth to be able to dive into that sort of thing. So that's a realization I've had about myself. I, I like yeah. becoming an expert in these sorts of things. So I, I like that too a lot. Uh, the two things I don't do that for though are any electricity in the walls because that can kill mm. you uh, yeah. and plumbing in the, especially in the walls uh, because so this has to do with our main like sewer line or whatever. And so like I could fix it but it's in the wall and I won't find out if I did it right for like a few years down the line mm. when like my whole drywall falls off with mold or something. You know? yeah. So like I'm going to pay someone to do it right. And okay. uh, yeah. Reasonable. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Electric is kind of dicey. My dad right now in renovating Jenka Village is teaching himself electrical stuff. And he was just was very blase, just like, oh, yeah, I just like made sure it was off and disconnected. It's like the main power lines coming from the from the street. Right. And uh, he did the same thing with asbestos. He cleared out a bunch of asbestos. Like, dad, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I, yeah. I waited until it was a rainy day. So it was moisture. So it wouldn't get in the air. <laughs> like that stuff can stay in your lungs forever. It doesn't. That's the right. danger of asbestos. It, it, yeah. uh, it's not biodegradable. But I, uh, I think that's the... Yeah. Uh, Cool. You have two projects going on that I'd love to ask you about. First one is this GPS competition that ends tomorrow. That's right. What's what's the deal? That's right. Where do we it stand? It ends tomorrow, uh, and we are in tenth place out of eleven gold medals. Ooh, <laughs> so close. We, we keep, like everyone is uh, everyone is waiting to the end to to put their best uh, submissions in. I guess um, we have a few ideas, but nothing life changing, and so. Uh, and it's easy to go up or down you know up or, up or down five places is like trivial in these competitions mm. so yeah if we fall two then we're out of gold if we rise at all then we'll then we're in it so we'll see we have five more submissions tomorrow we have some couple crazy ideas and a couple safe ideas and then i will know in something like 30 hours whether i get another gold or not we'll see i've been so surprised when you've given me updates on this 
within a palm, you'll be like, oh yeah, you know, we, we had this update that increased our accuracy by a millimeter. Yeah. And that's a significant amount of uh, distance. What, what's the current gap between you and first place? How, how far are oh, we talking? Us in first place is like uh, 60 centimeters. Like 60, first, okay. Yeah, the first place guy, he's the one who, he's a person who won last year. He's a, he has a PhD in GNSS. So okay. he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're not going to get anywhere close to first place. Okay. Uh, but the gap between us and the people behind us is three centimeters. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, man, like even 30 centimeters. I, I, I've been sort of, acclimatized to this because i've heard you saying these numbers but we're talking about a global positioning system we're on the scale of the earth and you're within 30 centimeters of first place in this like that's the what what it's amazing to me i don't want to lose this wonder and joy that you're <laughs> able to solve problems this of this sort of a complicated nature and compete at a global scale and the the accuracy that we're dealing with is an, an amount of space that i can make with my hands it's really really cool uh yeah it is pretty cool uh and for me to understand all the different pieces of it and stuff is is neat so yeah i i can get frustrated when we don't <laughs> yeah we went up today by a millimeter and we wanted it to be a centimeter and so i was upset because <laughs> it was a millimeter not a centimeter uh, uh yeah what does your work look like for the rest of today and tomorrow this down to the wire what, what are what are things that you're doing in the last few hours of yeah this sort of so i have three different things i'm trying um i'll talk all about it next week when the competition is over but three different things two are sort of wild one is just like a general like a incremental improvement hopefully on what i've already done and then the rest of the team also has two or three things we're gonna try we only have five submissions left so we have to be a little careful um yeah and then we'll one of the hard parts of cal competitions is always picking your final two submissions Mm -hmm. you get two submissions to try um and so you almost always pick the one that did the best in the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. But if you just did that, then you uh, have the problem of leaderboard overfitting. We talked about mm-hmm. that before. Um, and so you also pick one that you think does the best had did the best on the training data, but for some reason didn't look like it did did the best on the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out which one of our submissions we think actually did the best in the training data. And so we'll probably pick that and the uh, the top of the leaderboard one and see what happens. I am curious about how you would go about picking one that you think would do better on the actual data, if not just looking at the score. I guess you'd have to know some internal workings of how the function was operating and what, yeah. what, what's going to go into that decision. How do you decide which one you think yeah. is going to do So best? when I talk about training and tests, remember that you have a whole chunk of data, and then they before the competition starts, they split off part of it to be the test data. Mm-hmm. And then they further divide that test data into public and private and then your public score is based on, say, 70% or whatever. Uh, in this case, sometimes it's as low as like 10% of that test data set. But your final private score is based on the private data set that you, that you don't know about. So what you don't want to do is overfit to the public part of the test uh, set. You can, because you're getting feedback on how you're doing there, it's really easy to like just optimize for that bit, but neglect the private test set. And so mm-hmm. you can actually be doing worse on the private test set without knowing about it. So the way you counteract that is you, do, you run exactly the same processes that you're doing on all the test data, but on the training data, mm. because there, you have a lot of training data. Um, now, the problem there is if you've, divide, if you've uh, derived your algorithms based on the training data and then you use it to predict on the training data, then that's no longer good. Uh, you know, so you have to like hold out part of your training data as well. Mm-hmm. So it actually gets really complicated. But yeah, so you, you figure out how your algorithm does on your training data 
and then use that to predict uh, to basically guess which algorithm will be the best on the private uh set gotcha yeah. okay okay so this is based on your your internal testing based on how you've separated out uh, holding out your own test data based on you have your subset of test data based on the test data that they gave you. So you have your own internal leaderboard of all of your submissions of how well your algorithm did based on your own internal testing. But essentially, yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. That's a good method. I'm, I'm curious about this now. What uh, What is, what's the input for this function? Is it like a single point in time or do you get the the gps points a little before and a little after or i guess it would make more sense if it was a little before because that's the data that you would have in in the real world how does that work so for this specifically they give you all of the test all of the points for the entire run at a time and they okay. specifically call out that they're doing this so you can look both forward and backward in time mm-hmm. um you're right in the real world for real time that you only get backwards in time but they specifically call out that they want this this double like they want to give you all the test data basically so or all okay. the, ru- the run data um because i guess whatever they're using it for they have all the run data i'm, I'm not exactly sure but hmm. um yeah so you're right in normal real world like if you're predicting real time location then it would be just the data behind you but for this competition specifically they give you all the data for the entire run okay so for you for you holding out some test data you're just holding out some complete runs uh, yeah, so normally you do k-fold validation. So k-fold, k is a variable. It's usually like three or five or ten. So you basically take your training data and you chunk it into five chunks. You hold out an entire fold. You train all your models on the rest of it, and then you test on the fold you held out. And mm-hmm. then you do the whole thing again for the second uh, bin, then the third bin, then the fourth bin, then the fifth bin, and then usually you mm-hmm. average that together to get. Uh, so, so, so that way you basically you you train you know however many k so you train maybe five different models say and you get scores for your entire training set because you've held out one at a time so that's usually how you do it got it k-fold validation that's a cool method i like it uh that's gps gps competition talk to me about acorn chat we talked briefly about how you had uh an actual user who had this live on their website who was getting chats in what's that like I did. Uh, I got three more trials, so another week, another three trials. Uh, still, no one has paid for it yet of those of the people from this. Well, you said so you, the the uh, free trial is for a month, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. So you get a month. Um, I also emailed everyone who I am allowed to email. Okay. Um, so if they come straight from the Slack app store and they don't click a button, I think we talked about this too, then you can't actually use their email. Mm. So for everyone who either did click the button or signed up the regular way, I emailed them. Uh, so that's like seven people and got zero responses. <laughs> so oh, okay. yeah, uh, that's all right, I guess. Um, so I'll just keep doing that though. And, okay. uh, and it was, you know, a short, basically, you know, it was just like a, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. It, it was longer than that, but uh, that's okay. basically what it was saying. Um, are you planning on following up do you have a sequence to send them uh i could uh i'll probably hmm, that's a good question i don't know i just emailed them yesterday and so uh i'll probably follow up if they continue to use it so if people keep using it and getting messages then i will continue following up um but yeah people have gotten real messages on it and it works so that's fantastic congratulations it took a long time to get to this point that's right it's live it's it's doing the thing that's great um, I had the same sort of problem. I gave Rachel the task of going through all of my paid users and trying to get them on phone calls. And I think, I, I, now that I'm saying this, I need to go back and, and check if this is what she actually did. But I, I think she sent 
a sequence of four emails hmm. to, I think, every paid user I have on the new plans, which I think is something like a hundred people. No, it would be like two hundred people. Oh, I didn't. Okay, I, I I think the list I sent her was only fifty people. So hmm. this this might be part of it that I I just didn't send it to my full list. I think I got like one phone call from that. Yeah, and that seems really low. So what I started telling her was anyone who has any sort of support request that's any sort of complexity. So like exclude people who just want to cancel their account. But I guess I would actually want to be talking to them. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, anyone who has any sort of support ticket of any complexity, push for a phone call. I want to be mm. talking to more people. And that's so much more organic. And that's so much more right. like the user is so much more motivated to do that. Because in the first case, I'm reaching out to them saying, hey, how are you liking it? I'd like to ask you some questions for my own benefit. And they're going about that. These are busy people. They got right. stuff to do. They, they don't care about me. But if it's someone who's reaching out to me already, who has a problem that they believe I can solve, that I can solve, and I'm reaching back to them saying, hey, I would love to talk to you about that on the phone. Don't you love it when you're trying to get a problem solved and you can talk to an actual real person and not a robot? We can do that. We can solve your problem. And then I get them on the, on the call and I'm able to solve their problem right away. And I'm able to get a much better understanding of what the problem is. And... Uh, then I have some leeway to be able to ask them like, oh, by the way, how'd you hear about File Inbox? And, you know, is there anything else about the product? And uh, I get a better understanding of the, the entire job that they're trying to get done with File Inbox. So uh, I think that's my that's my growth hack for talking to more customers. Anytime you get any sort of support request, push to, to get that uh, be a video call. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I did have someone reach out to me of the people who signed up um, and I just answered his question. Maybe I should have asked for a phone call or something. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's has, easier to do that. I found that it's easier to do that. Yeah. Has anyone used your video chat uh, feature yet? Not a single person, Chris. Not one. I don't. I, uh. <laughs> and I had a, I, I, uh, I actually forgot to do it the last two days, but I've had it on for, I don't know, maybe eight hours over the last 10 days. And yeah, not a single person. No. I also just saw a tweet that said that the automatic pop-up for a, a message is annoying yeah. and i do have that on right now so i need to turn that <laughs> off but i'm also wondering <laughs> is that just annoying if you see a video of someone and also the way i have it set up it plays the same part of the same video oh, in between never. page views so i'm wondering if someone mm. goes to a page view or something but ah it was a cool experiment i have it set up yeah. now i uh has that a, has, it, results are inconclusive okay has that affected your conversion rates at all do you have enough conversions to tell if that has affected your rates i don't know and well i'd be able to see just like total total uh paid users which are it's it's abysmal for me right now it was like two last month mm -hmm. um so if that had any sort of significant change i'd be able to see that um but that leads into something i wanted to talk to you about which i guess we can talk about right now uh i'd like to talk about analytics mm, yeah how so like google analytics is sort of the standard thing and the standard thing I get from people, and this is through talking to like SEO experts and people who specialize in Google ads, I'm like, what analytics do you use? And everyone's like, well, there's Google analytics, but that's really complicated and bad, <laughs> but it's free. But like, right. if you invest a bunch of time, you can figure out how it works. And there's other stuff too. And uh, the the one I'm familiar with is called Amplify, which is really expensive. I think it it's like hundreds of dollars for the, the traffic I'd be sending to it. Um, so I don't love that, but it, it has me in this state of mind of like, why don't I just build a thing <laughs> that does analytics? And I know for uh, for AcornJet, I think 
you did a lot of the in analytics internally, right? Yeah. That's that's just like saving in the in the Rails app. Uh, why did you do that instead of something like Google Analytics or, or yeah. Fathom or something? So I've used Google Analytics before. Um, and so Fathom is one an, another alternative that's more privacy focused if you want that, uh, which costs money. But um, I think Google Analytics is good for web pages that you're going to like drive traffic to, but it's bad for in-app like tracking conversions and stuff in the app and like any of your in-app stuff. And since I'm a solo developer and I want to track app stuff as well as web page like visit stuff, it's I mean basically easy enough to log all my page all my page views in Rails with mm -hmm. like um you know the uh, IP address and the user uh, agent and all that stuff. Um and so that's what I did. Uh, as a result, my analytics right now is not very robust. I think we talked last time like I I don't actually have a way to a good way to see like how many visitors I have that aren't robots. That's a big one. Hmm. And uh, actually lead to any kind of conversion. And so, but I do have all the data. So all I have to do, all I have to do is go back and like make a page that shows all of that. Um, yeah, so that's what I chose to do basically because I, I've had the same experience with Google Analytics. Like it's it's there, but it's not it's not wonderful in a lot of ways. Hmm. I could use something like Mixpanel or something like that, which is more of like an app tracking solution, but hmm. that costs money and takes engineering time anyway. Hmm. And so... As a solo dev, I just decided to save it all in a Rails database, and I'll figure it out later. Okay. Yeah. How are you saving it in the Rails database? You just have a table of page views or a table of users, and you're storing the pages yes. that they visited with a timestamp? Uh, page views with a timestamp. Um, yeah. I'm storing all the data that I can reasonably have thought to save, <laughs> and then later okay. I'll go through and sort it all, basically. So each each row is a page view, and then you're storing like yes. the user ID based on a cookie or something? Uh, um, I don't remember, but if I if probably. I visit your page and then I refresh the page, does that show up as two page views, or can you see that I'm the same person? I guess it would be two rows because because you're uh, just it's making two a new page. it's two rows for sure. I don't okay. remember if I'm actually saving the user ID as a cookie. Um, okay, and I might not be because GDPR actually says you can't for Europe. Yeah, yeah. So and I'd have to, so then I'd have to figure out who's in Europe and then pop put up a cookie pop up. Yeah, which sounded really annoying. Um, so I do know like user agents are relatively unique and so you can figure it out even without cookies because the user actually sends the user agent right yeah 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 there's the um, uh, fingerprinting you can do too of like yeah. the fonts the person has installed and uh, there's a lot of CSS like stuff yeah. yeah yeah their screen size their screen resolution yep all sorts of stuff yeah okay <sighs> I think I I think I want to do this <laughs> I just saw a tweet <laughs> this morning that was uh, uh, somebody tweeted um, how to come up with good product ideas. Uh, and step one was uh, have a good idea. And step two was work on it. And then step three was build a thing that helps you get the first idea done. And then it said, the th the, that idea is the good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This feels like that sort of thing. It also yeah. like the thing I'm imagining. So in, in traction, a core thing that they say is you need to be able to see how well your traffic from each of these channels is converting. That's the core right. question you need, you need to be able to answer to judge which of these traction channels makes the most sense to be investing more in. And right now in Google Analytics, that's a hard question to answer. And that shouldn't that should be like the basic thing. How well is each page converting and where did that traffic come from that that had me converting? So I feel like the thing I need is just for each page of my app that's public facing, I want to know how many total people landed on it how many people converted and where did those people come from? And then I want to be able to see like, 
okay, how effective is this page on uh, you know Google Drive uh, file requests? Well, I had this many people visit it, and then I had uh, you know this many people who went from there to directly to the signup page. So okay, that counts as a conversion. And I had this many people click on the home page first, and then go to sign up. So okay, that counts as a conversion. And I had this many people read another article and then read another article and then go to the homepage and then sign up. So that also counts as a conversion. And that doesn't seem like it should be that hard. The, the end result I want is just like a, a, a table of each page and the conversion ratio, uh, how well each page is converting. And then I want another table of like, hey, all your traffic coming in from Google Ads converted this well. And maybe I want to dig a little bit more into that and see like, you know, what was the path that those people took to get there. But uh, fundamentally, I just want to see the, the thing that Traction wants to boil you down to is like, how much money did you pay? And then how much money did you get back from that? So for Google Ads, I want to see the question, uh, how much money did I make from Google Ads in the last period? And to see that, I would need to see, well, I had this many people come in from Google Ads. And then here's the path that they took and the, the uh, 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 conversion rate of each of those pages. And then this percentage of them converted into customers. And then this how much this is how much money I've made from that. And as long as that number is higher than the number that I paid, then keep dumping money into it. And if it's not, then back off. And I know I can do that with things like Amplify. And <laughs> Amplify is very expensive. And I feel like that's yes. not that hard of a problem. And then there's weird things I would want to do with it, I'm sure, once I like have done it myself. Similar to like learning how to be a plumber. Uh, I, I, I enjoy the process of like digging in and making analytics less spooky and that I understand it at the level of it's just rows in a table. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, so like Google Analytics, people reach for it because it's free, but it's actually not designed to do that. And so that's why it, people think it's difficult to use or, or complicated or whatever, because it's actually not a good tool for that. So yeah, mm. simplify something something like Amplify or um, or Mixpanel or something is, is better. Uh, but yeah, they cost money and they're also more complicated than you need for like Mixpanel is great if you have like 18 different data sources and they all are triggering events and you have different marketing pages and all that stuff, mm. uh, which you don't have, right? And you have the ability to write to a single database. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's probably just as easy for you to write your own as it is to uh, use Mixpanel or something like that, um, which is funny because I'm telling you to go do development stuff instead of, <laughs> <laughs> instead of paying money for the thing. It's development in the name of marketing. That's so right. I feel like uh, it counts for yeah. marketing. <laughs> um, it's also, I think it'll take you about the same amount of time whether you build it yourself or not. Um, yeah. And if you build it yourself, then you don't have to pay money for it and you can customize it however you want. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the core thing I want from this is just a, a better understanding. Like I open up Google Analytics and I just don't understand what's going on. And they've changed it several times since I've had an account. And it's nice that I've had it for so long because I can see things like, uh, you know, it's nice to see the graph of uh, monthly traffic going back to, to what would it be like 2013 uh, right. that's a graph that I'm happy that Google Analytics has but like man I could be getting so much more valuable data from it so I think what I'm going to do is just like leave Google Analytics on because why not And it, it might be uh, collecting something that might be useful in the future but for the core metrics that I'm trying to make business decisions on I want to see each page and how well they're converting and each traffic source and how well the traffic source is converting and if I just, and that's like one page, it's two tables. And if I had that, that's something I can actually be making decisions on. So yeah, that's, and yeah, it would, I, I like how you said that of, it would take me less time to, to just build up myself than it would to integrate one of these other things of like Amplify or something else. 
And then I know that I'm getting exactly what I want. I know that I totally understand it. And if at any point in the future I want to customize it, I can do that. And this might then turn into another SaaS that <laughs> right. I could sell it to other people uh, to, to do it. I wanted to pull in here uh, the, the marketing changelog idea that we've been chewing on for a while hmm. because yeah. this seems like an opportunity to pull that in because the core question I want to be answering as a business owner is like, so I, I, in talking to Jonathan Zachs, I've just made these changes to these marketing pages. What I would love to see is making those changes change your conversion rate from this to this. And you, here's a screenshot of the page before, and here's a screenshot of the page after, and here's some uh, more intelligent understanding of it than just the screenshots of like, you know, the, the, the core thing that you did was add these links and remove these links and uh, add these keywords maybe. And so from that, you can see this was the conversion rate before and this is the conversion rate after. So uh, yes, that was a good change that you did and you have a number to, to tell you how good it was. Um, how, do, do you have any thoughts on that? Of, have you thought any more about the, the marketing change log or how that might become a product? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I think it's a good idea still fundamentally, um, but I also am not the person to do it, I think. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, but if I was a marketing focused developer, then I would probably start by trying to charge find any company and charge them you know 1500 a month or something and say i will track all of your page views and all of your marketing changes and i will tell you which ones were good and which ones were bad so at the end of the month you get a really nice report of everything that you did this month and whether it, it how it changed conversions mm -hmm. um because businesses that are not large enough to have their own you know like development team or like even like a chief marketing officer or something watching the stuff but still might be doing you know millions a year um especially like shopify stores say for example um they could really use that data and that's probably way more valuable to them than 1500 a month hmm. but uh they don't have the the effort to sort of to to do it so yeah if i was trying to get this off the ground that's what i would do try to find anybody to pay me some number over a thousand a month to do it by hand um, and then figure out what they need before i actually built anything okay i would pay you 20 dollars a month would you do it for 20 <laughs> uh uh no <laughs> okay that's a that's a good answer <laughs> if you said yes we're, we're about to need to have a talk um okay uh, I, was trying to, I was trying to think of what i could give you for 20 dollars a month i don't think i could give you anything for 20 <laughs> that's fair you could tell me i'm doing a good job already and it's probably fine i will uh, i will i will prompt you during our uh, uh co-working sessions to work on it yourself <laughs> that sounds good that. i don't i don't want to pay you 20 dollars for that though <laughs> <laughs> i will uh continue to provide friendship and uh yes okay uh Great. so um uh I'm, I'm sort of going out of order on my notes now so i need to rearrange these things uh i so the main thing i worked on the last 10 days is file inbox i worked 18 hours and 29 minutes on file inbox and that feels like a great amount of time to have worked on file inbox i am still only at a baseline working on it for four palms or about two hours a day and that feels really sustainable there was there was one day in there where I was really chomping at the bit. This was after I had another conversation with Jonathan Zachs about like how much more money I could be making. And I, would, I just had this manic energy of like, oh, I got to finish this right. right away. And so I worked on it a little bit on Saturday. And I don't usually work on Saturday. I usually take the whole, the whole uh, weekend off. And I found myself just sort of 
dreading it again and mm-hmm. and not being excited about it. And I was really excited going into it because I knew exactly that the next work that I needed to do. But then in the middle of working out on it on Saturday, I had this feeling of just, ah, I don't like this. This is working on it too much. And so then I took all of Sunday off and then on Monday I was excited to work on it again. And I've, I've been jamming on it uh, every day since then. So I think there is a optimal amount to be working on this every day. And I think it's probably more than two hours and it's less than five hours and if I'm working on it a little less than I have the capacity to, I think that makes me hungry to work on it the next day. Like right now, you know, we, we just ended co-working and I know exactly what the next thing, I have this open problem to, to work on that I'm excited to work on. And I think that is now energy that feeds into the next day. So uh, I, I might want to experiment with like a palm at a time, especially doing more palms on marketing. I only worked for, uh, oh, where is it? Oh, three hours and three minutes on marketing this uh over the last 10 days which that's mm-hmm. not enough so I, I think an experiment i want to do going forward is uh i do four palms on file inbox and i do at least one palm on marketing and we try to bump that up to five five palms total so if i do all four palms on marketing like that's okay too because that's a new type of work that i'm getting used to but uh also an acceptable day is four palms on technical stuff and one palm on marketing so uh that's a high level overview oh i want to uh just briefly cover the stuff that it, uh well uh, before i go into that uh any any comments on time allocation of uh developing and time and uh four problems a day yeah um so people listening might uh think you know two hours a day is nothing i work eight hours a day at my job uh first of all i will challenge the fact that you're actually working eight hours a day that's a different <laughs> conversation maybe but um also like yeah if you work if you work more but then you burn out and don't do anything for three months then of course it's better to do less and get you know more done in the long term so mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah if you're at a sustainable pace that's great uh we can you know experiment with increasing it and if that doesn't work then we can go back down i think yeah that's like trial and error is an okay way to figure out how much you want to be working on it that's fine yeah cool that sounds so reasonable coming from you and sometimes when i'm telling myself that i'm like ah you're just making excuses but no yeah i think that is actually a a good sustainable way to do it um and it's like i'm enjoying every day every day i wake up and i'm like oh i get to do my little filing box and i have my little routine and i go and then i do my little workout and i'm I'm enjoying living life i like it so yeah okay Uh, it feels good that i'm doing this more sustainably um the specific things i worked on were i finished templated file names which were surprisingly complicated to do but now you can specify for a file uh uh, for a, a video or screen recording you can specify that you want a the file name to be named a certain templated thing so like if you want all your submissions to be named with the submitters first name in the file name and then some random string and then the timestamp you you can do that now and then that should be pretty straightforward to do the same thing actually no that that just works out of the box now with um uh file uploads also uh, i don't love the interface for specifying it i need to figure out some way that i can it's it's like a handlebars string with mm-hmm. variable names that are ugly so i'd love to figure out how to do drag and drop things instead oh, yeah but I'm not sure how to do like drag and drop of components into uh, input fields. I think I've seen React libraries for that. Does anything spring to mind of how you would do that? Yeah, I know you can't use input fields because input fields are very particular about what you put in them, hmm. but there are drag and drop things that use, so you can use, uh, what's it called? The div um, edit. Content editable? Something like, yeah, content editable. Okay. So you can make a div look like an input field and then drag and drop things into it. Yeah, and there are okay. libraries to do that. So Okay. Yeah, that's, just that's go look at it. There's anything. probably a library that does it. 
Okay. Um, but the, the low level thing works. It's uh, just the, like the interface to it. I don't, I don't love for right now. Uh, so that was good. Oh, and while I was doing that, I did that with test-driven development, which is just my new favorite thing. I'm on this <laughs> kick now of any code I'm writing of any sufficient complexity. Uh, my brain just says, oh, why not write tests about it first? And I am just a convert into TDD because I it's so much more straightforward in the same vein as working for two hours a day on something just routinely, you get in the habit of it. And it doesn't really matter if you have good or bad days and it's just a, a sustainable thing that works every time. In my youth, <laughs> I used to go on these manic coding binges of like, I would start at 11 p.m. and I would go all the way through until like eight in the morning and then I would have a thing built and then the next day I'd be exhausted and then the next day I'd, I wouldn't want to do anything and then a week later I'd go back to the code and be like, what the heck did I just write? This doesn't, I don't know how to do this or uh, I want to add a feature to it but I'm terrified of doing it because it's all broken. And doing things with TDD is just like this really slow march where I, I don't have to hold hardly anything in my head at once. It's just the very next thing. Of, and then, you know, oh, here's an edge case I hadn't thought of. Well, let me write a test for it. I write the test for it. It fails. All right. Now the only thing I'm doing is passing that test. And I go back to the code and I pass the test. And, oh, what's this? Another test failed. Okay, now I'm, I have to do these two things. But that's as complicated as it gets. And then, okay, I have to solve the two things. Now I'm done. Now, oh, it doesn't do this other edge case. And then I, I keep doing that. I love it. I for, for everything I did this last week, I wrote a test suite about it also. This is something that I felt like was sorely missing from my old code base for file inbox that was written in Rails. And I just lamented it. And you know, every feature I wrote was just this gamble of like, well, I guess I'll find out when a user emails me <laughs> if something's broken. And now everything I'm writing just feels bulletproof. And I feel like, you know, I'm I feel like I'm writing you know, Google quality code that's running on Google infrastructure that is just gonna work every time. And all of the time, all of the cases where it could fail, I have thought of and built out a thing for, so it'll report back and uh, handle it in, in the way that makes the most sense. So uh, I, I like that a lot. Uh, I think we've talked about CDD before, and you said it, it's not something you you do regularly. What? It's not my it's not my favorite thing. We'll say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've talked about that before. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of that graph where you're like. Uh, uh, it's it's like the noob who's like uh, I just write everything write no tests and just do all my code and then yeah. it goes up and it's like TDD all the things and then it yeah, goes yeah. back to the monk and it's like ah oh, I'm just gonna write all my code and, and do no tests I feel like you're climbing <laughs> another hill which is like beyond the monk which is like ah, actually TDD is okay just, <laughs> just go up and open down in these cycles you know yeah. to be clear I'm not doing this for everything and I'm, I'm right. doing this for like mission critical things that are of any sufficient complexity so I think you can you know on that on that first hump of the graph if you're writing tests for everything that's too many tests. Uh, if you have if you have like one integration test that covers most of the things, if you have a more complicated test that's going through and like signing up for an account and then doing whatever the basic thing is to to test if you uh, if your entire application is working, like that covers most of it. Uh, specifically, what I'm using these for is like weird functions. Oh, oh, I wrote this function. I was telling you about it <laughs> for the last few days. Yeah. Uh, called PMAP. Uh, I might change the name because there's another node package called PMAP. But I had this problem. This is going to tie back to test. Just give me a second. Uh, I had this problem of having to do things concurrently, but not all at the same time. And they might fail. So I need to retry them a certain number of times. And that's a complicated process flow. Like it's really easy to do things serially, just like one at a time. This would be in a, a sort of case like I need to download to a, a Firebase Cloud function all of the files for a response 
Uh, and so that I would need to do all of those and there might be like a thousand of them. And then I need to upload those to Dropbox. So for each of those things, it could fail because of a network request. And I, I don't wanna just be doing one at a time because that would take forever. Like I have the bandwidth to be doing three to five at a time, uh, but then any one of those could fail. So I don't like doing it serially because it would fail and that would be bad. And I don't like doing like promise at all because now I'm downloading a thousand files at once and that's gonna be dumb. Uh, so I wrote this function with tests all the way through. So I'm, I just bulletproof. I know exactly like if there's ever a problem with this, I know it's not any of the things that I've tested for. And I give it a uh, array of jobs to do. And I tell it how many I wanna run concurrently. And I tell it how many uh, retries uh, I wanna give it if the job fails or throws an error. And then I give it a callback function of like, if uh, on each retry, uh, based on the error, like give me a, a function so I can see if I wanna keep retrying it or uh, update something else. And also give me a callback uh, when it's failed, when it's run out of retries, and then I can do something else with it. And then the, the result of that on fail function goes into the result of the, the mapped uh, result. And I'm so proud of this. <laughs> it's so, I've used it three times already in my code base now that I've uh, written it. And uh, I just felt very clever and uh, felt really good. That, that was another thing that I got done uh, this last week. Have you ever run yeah. into a problem like that where you had to do a bunch of things asynchronously, but not all at the same time uh, and they could fail? Um not quite like what you're describing but i understand the basic yeah i mean the basic like shape of that problem i've had to do before but not not exactly the same way yeah um but that is exactly the type of thing that i think is really good to test because it's not like the thing i don't like testing is like does this label appear on the f screen and it's like well i'm gonna see it you know if, if yeah as i'm testing it but the thing i love yeah love testing is does this particular you know asynchronous thing work in this very particular case yep. and uh oh by the way i'm going to use this 10 times throughout my application so it had better work because it's a key critical piece yep yeah that's where tests are great so yep yeah i just made it so easy that that's a conceptually really difficult function that ended up only being something like 30 lines but i know that in every edge case of that of like you know what if the function you feed it is a regular function and not a promise or uh you know it's, it's not an asynchronous thing that i handle that now uh you know that the number of retries should you call retry the very first time you try it well no a, a retry should be called like the at least the second time you're trying to run it because you're retrying it uh all of that is just it's just bulletproof it works so well so okay uh that was one of the things uh two other things i finished dropbox oauth and this was another case i didn't write tests for this but i, I just like fleshed out all of the use cases of uh when i'm authenticating dropbox uh there's a lot of different ways that can happen like i can authenticate and it can fail the user can cancel or i can authenticate and then i can unauthenticate or i can authenticate and then i can authenticate another page and then i can unauthenticate the first page well what should happen to the second page so i map through all those and i like it it's sane and it works and uh the tokens refresh and uh that 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 feels really bulletproof now and like i love oh serverless functions are just like it's this entire class of problem that i don't even have to think about of like what if my server crashes well they'll just <laughs> on the off chance that google's infrastructure is down uh or this the particular serverless function has crashed they'll just spawn another one and it's just this other node instance and oh it's, it's this entire category of thing i don't have to think about so i can invest so much more energy into is my part bulletproof and i feel like yes it is i i i've thought through all the potential ways i think oauth could fail and i've accounted for all of them and if it fails in some unexpected way it's going to be reported on honey badger and then i'll be able to, to deal with that 
Ah, uh, I'm just so I don't know if you can sense my enthusiasm, but like clean, like bulletproof code, just oh, it it gets me going. It's it's really nice. Uh, so the last thing that I'm working on, which is, I, I say the last thing, the last thing I need to do before I start bringing in more beta users is uh, file uploads. This core meat and potatoes, like this is the core thing that File Inbox does that people are paying me for. When they upload a file to File Inbox, I'm gonna be able to sync it to Dropbox um, and then Google Drive and uh, uh, OneDrive after that. And I'm in it and I've been working on it for the last four days. And I have this beautiful PMAP function now to, uh, uh, run files through and it's complicated but doing it through tests it's just like I'm just marching forward just one step at a time and it's it's getting it done uh, so that feels really good uh, I think fingers crossed I'm like a week I think I'm a week out from starting to invite more people uh, and nice is this, yeah. is this a Christian week or a uh, real week <laughs> <laughs> it might be a real week it's for sure All a right. Christian week yeah, um yeah. One of the first people I'm going to bring on, uh, not the very first person, but one of the first people um, is a customer I have who bought a security audit from a third-party company, and they discovered that File Inbox was sending files directly to the Dropbox, and they had Dropbox installed on their computers. So uh, they tried uploading a virus, and the current version of File Inbox was just like, of course, it's a file. Right. Uh, <laughs> someone clearly wants to receive this executable file. And uh, so that came up in the security audit. So I had this fun conversation with them where I talked to the security auditors and like got more information about what they were looking for. And um, the, the I thought that the file had been executed, but they were like, no, 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 we just, we didn't want to see it go through it. We wanted to see that it was blocked. Um, so now that's a thing that File Inbox is going to be able to do. And I told them uh, three to six months. And I think it's going to be much more like three weeks because virus scanning seems pretty straightforward. Uh, so I have a handful of other customers like that. One person wants Zapier. Uh, uh, a few people want Zapier integrations, actually. Um, and uh, OneDrive integration and uh, a, a few other things. But I, as I'm as I'm bolting these new features on now, I can be inviting the beta users and then fleshing out more things in the file inbox serverless thing. And then this whole transition, I think, is going to take, I don't know. I would love to say that three months from now, I can shut down the Rails app. Uh, feels feels like that's about the right timeline. And then uh, doing marketing in parallel with that. And I feel really good about where I am. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, um, a while ago I asked, is your new version actually better than your old version or not? Uh, uh, virus scanning and you know Zapier integrations are definitely things that would push that over the edge to be better. So. Yeah, sounds good. Um, also, I'll say uh, three months sounds uh, very uh, aggressive for when you can shut down the old version because don't people like have links? Um, oh, I guess you can. I mean, you control the domain, so you can just redirect yeah. the new version. Okay. Exactly. So they don't yeah. have to change their links. No. And that's okay. going to be okay. a multi-stage process. Like for the right. for the beta users, I'm going to say. Change your links. Uh, uh, so I have fileinbox.com, which is the old Rails app, and fileinbox.app, which is the new serverless app. So right. uh I'm going to say to the first beta users, like, hey, can you let's let's make the new page on fileinbox.app, uh, give it the same name, and then let's make sure that that works first. And then, okay, we're happy with that. I'm going to redirect your .com to .app temporarily. And then I'll do that for a few people. And then once I feel pretty confident in the new serverless infrastructure, then I, well, how am I going to do that? I think then I move i migrate everyone's data over to the serverless app and then i'll just let that sit for a while and test it and then i'll redirect everyone's 
uh, page, the serverless app, and then I'll let that sit for a while and test it. And then I swap the two domains. Um, or I guess I don't even need to apply a domain to the .com, but I, I, right. I assign the .com to the .app, and then I turn off the redirects. Um, and then everyone's just going to be running on the, on the .com, which is the serverless one. Uh, and each stage of that, I'm sure something's going to go wrong, but hopefully I'm, <laughs> sure. I'm doing it in like manageable enough small steps that uh, yeah. it'll, it'll be reasonable. Okay, that makes sense then. I thought that everyone was going to have to actually do work on their end, um, which is will take a year if you, if you had to do that. Right. But They uh, will have to, yeah. the next time they log in, they'll have to reset their password. Uh, oh, and well, that yeah. was something I was chewing on for a long time that I didn't need to put nearly as much thought into it. Like, well, I could, <laughs> you know, decrypt their passwords and then, uh, secretly and then like create a new uh, account for them on file inbox. Like, uh, so every time starting now that they log into Rails, it's creating the account on Firebase with the new login. Mm. Uh, and I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, you know, I already know your email address. Uh, it's the new version of file inbox. You, you need to reset your password. Uh, and I, I think that's fine. Yeah. Every once in a while, apps will ask you to do that. So certain apps, like my bank does that every three months, I think. So, mm-hmm. which is annoying, but whatever, like people will do it. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and as long as they have access to their email and, you know, if, if there's any problems, I have Rachel to help me solve them. So she can, <laughs> right. she can like, you know, uh, uh, manually reset their password or whatever they want to do. Uh, cool. Uh, so that all feels really good. Oh, I wanted to mention in my chat with Jonathan Zachs, I said something about SEO that uh, I thought was advice that he gave me, but I, I think I misheard what he was saying. I said that ideally every marketing page has an internal link to every other marketing page. And apparently that's not the case. Uh, he, he gave me a new rule, which is ideally you don't have more than five internal links in a landing page because oh. otherwise it starts to look really spammy and right. Google starts to sniff out things. And you know, what is five? Is it five? This, this whole thing I think is sort of cloak and dagger. Right. Like you don't, we don't really know, but some people think sometimes <laughs> that Google penalizes them sometimes when they do things like this. And certainly yeah. in the extreme case, if it's just a page with a whole bunch of links, uh, Google really doesn't like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a little more judicious about, uh, internal linking. And okay. he also gave me just a, a couple of, uh, small things to improve. Um, I think I, even when you said that last time, I don't think I thought that every page needed to have a link to every other page. Mm. I think I just thought he meant like a, a dense, you want a dense, pretty dense web so that it doesn't take a ton of clicks to get from one page all the way to another. I see you understood his message even through my misinterpretation. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's what he meant. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, I, I built a script that was like checking that every page had a link to every other page. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Yeah, so and that's also easier to do uh, and would sure. not be sustainable like as the number of pages grows. Um, after I chat with him, so the, the the main question I've been asking him is like, how do I get MRR up faster? And he gave me a few more things to tidy up in SEO and a, a few more things to uh, change in the pages. And the thing that I think we're landing on is that file sending makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of traffic going to file mm-hmm. sending. A lot of current customers on file inbox are like confused that they think file inbox is a product to send it. I think mm-hmm. I have a great, uh, I, I could have a hot take on what file sending looks like. And then if I look at that as engineering as marketing, I'm paying a couple cents in file storage in the extreme cases, mostly fractions of a sense. Um, and that's now getting me in front of people who are sending and receiving files. So like 
on the page where they download the file. That is an advertisement for File Inbox. And I can say, hey, wouldn't you love to do these other things? Uh, sign up for an account and you can do that. Wouldn't you love to have custom branding or bigger files or encrypted files or virus scanning? Uh, sign up for an account, you can do all those things. Um, yeah, so that's uh, something I think I would be doing like concurrently with the migration. This is like a, a three to uh, three month-ish goal. I told Jonathan Zachs it would take me like a week to make this and I stand by that and yeah. I have to fit it in with like all this other stuff I'm doing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'd like yeah. for it to happen soon and like I need to finish this uh, transition first and uh, yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would feel, I would, if I were you, I'd feel just fine waiting until the transition is over because if you try to do too many things at once then you won't do any of them well. Right. So finish the one thing first and then yeah. Okay. That's what I would say, but I'm Jonathan also not is a, in your Jonathan's shoes, a listener so. of this podcast. I can, I can hear him sigh <laughs> right now. He's, he's not going to be happy with me. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> what I, a, a, a possible thing I could do that would get it done a little bit sooner is like I could build the sending feature in the serverless app, and then I could sort of slot that into the Rails app. And so when you land in the Rails site, it's like that part of it is the, is the serverless app uh you could but if if that delays you for a few weeks then like i don't know i i still think it's better to finish one thing before starting the next but i, I could be totally wrong who knows yeah. i'm also just jamming on like writing tests and yeah. <laughs> slinging code i'm having a great time which is not marketing christian it's not marketing but i'm i'm doing one uh bomb on marketing every day uh which sometimes is just reading a chapter of traction but uh yeah. i'm doing i'm doing something all right so that's the stuff on file inbox. Uh, I think that's all of the things I wanted to say about business. I have some uh, personal updates. Uh, Sarah and I right. picked up our marriage certificate this last week. And we're not married yet, but we have like yep. the piece of paper that we need to have signed and then we'll turn it in. So that's exciting. Very nice. And uh, Sarah is designing the wedding bands. And uh, we've printed several iterations. I have a table in my office right now that's full of all these uh toxic resin uh things that we would like to burn off that are like models yeah. of the ring uh and we'll like try them on and then like wash our hands immediately afterwards and i think i might print a prototype of that today in bronze uh so that's that's really cool i'm, I'm gonna do like when it's cast it's gonna be my ring outside of her ring they're gonna be like interlinked with a tube in the middle so it's like made from right. the same metal uh it's gonna be cool and i also just have been jamming on routines like uh, I have this exercise routine I do called five by five that ideally I should be doing every other day and being back home, I'm able to do that. And my gym is right outside. And so that's been working really well. And I am, uh, picking up meditating again. And I keep forgetting that meditating just makes everything in my life so much better. Right. And then I remember, and then I do it again and then just everything is better again. So a note to myself in the future and a note to you, if you ever notice, like I'm in a bad place, just be like, Christian, are you meditating? And I'll probably say no. And then say, you should meditate. And then I'll say, I don't want to. And then you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I'll do it. Uh, yeah. That's, those are my personal updates. Uh, I think that's all I got. That is all I got too. Cool. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>